The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. In Zadie Smith's new book, a book of essays, Intimations, she quotes Lorraine Hansberry, the playwright from A Raisin in the Sun, and this is what she says, when you start measuring somebody, measure him right, child, measure him right, therefore, compassion. The original sin in Genesis 3 was not eating the apple. That was not the sin. The sin of Genesis 3 was believing the devil when the devil said that you can be like God and it will go well. You can eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're going to know everything. You're going to know truth from lies. And so we believe him, and so we think it will go well. And then what does it say happens? But their eyes are opened, and they see that they're naked, and they hide. Eyes opened to be able to see things that they weren't prepared to see. It's like Eve turning to Adam and going, you're not as hunky as I thought you were. And Adam looking at Eve going, you're not much of a catch either. And so they hide themselves from one another and from God. Because with eyes open, uh, most of us remember being taught about first impressions, how you carry yourself, how you dress, how you look, all those things, because we want people to get a first impression of us. Why? Because people look at us and they presume certain things about us based on how we dress, how we talk, how we look, 
how we carry ourselves, what we eat, what we don't eat, what we drive, all those things. They make those decisions about us, and with those decisions come value that people place on us, but also value that we place upon ourselves. We may look at a way that we dress or live and we think, well, this isn't that great, so I'm going to maybe knit together some fig leaves into some clothing to hide myself from others, to be able to hide. Because we value ourselves on what we see of ourselves, but what people see of us. But then we also value others on what we see of them, or what we at least think we see of them. Well, this morning it's fitting that part of our reading talks about the washing of hands. How much of a decision is being made about others in our society based on our reactions to the pandemic? Mask, no mask, hand sanitizer, no hand sanitizer, sacrificing a chicken at midnight, not, all sorts of things. But here Jesus is talking to a people where the washing of hands was actually important. This, is a, this was a, a culture in which you didn't, have not, you didn't have forks and spoons, you might have had knives, but you ate with your hands. And there was something ceremonial, especially for the uber-religious, of making sure your hands were clean. Why? Because you're eating out of a communal thing. You're putting your hands in there, putting it to your mouth, and then you're going back in. That's almost like double-dipping, right? You don't want to do that. But there was also this religious thing put to it of eating clean food. And you had to have your hands clean so you didn't defile the clean food, the kosher food, whatever you want to call it, so that you could make sure that you have the semblance of religiosity, the semblance of goodness, the semblance of perfection. But the problem is is that if you're in a culture where all you do is eat with your hands, what's the problem? Your hands are always dirty. Because every single time you're going in there, your hands get dirty all the time. Washed hands becoming the symbol of a religious outward denial of the God of the promise. For Christ here, taking it from a religious context, he's saying, no, washing your hands is not what makes you clean as a clean person. Because there's other things that washing hands can't do anything about. And he says this washing of our hands is this attempt to deny from ourselves the God who speaks to us of a promise of his decision about us, not what other people might say about us. Because he sees us, he knows us. If I keep my hands clean, things will go well, I tend to tell myself. At least I can pretend that way. Well, we live in a culture, and this fits, we live in a culture that is, is consumed with perceptions that can hide reality. It's, it's this Instagram culture. Those of you who don't know what Instagram is, it's an app where you can post pictures, and it's known as the place of the Instagram girlfriend, where folks can take pictures of themselves in particular situations that make them look really good make them look really pretty, really fit, all those things to hide whatever the reality is, the real sinner. Well, I think of one of the things that came to my mind when I was reading this text. 
As I think of, I've been a pastor now for quite a while, and I don't know how many lapsed Catholics are in the room. I'm married to one. But the amount of times I've had parishioners come to me and tell me, well, pastor, I grew up Catholic, got married, got divorced. They won't commune me. So now I'm Lutheran. Why? Because you'll commune me, pastor. You'll bring me communion. I'm still considered part of the body of Christ. I wonder how many of us know of someone, or maybe it is you, who have had the life in which you were married and you, you, you made sure that everything looked like it was going well. And then at some point it wasn't. I can think of multiple friends at the top of my head who we thought they had a wonderful marriage and then suddenly we find out things have come to an end. A divorce takes place. You go, but they were so perfect together. Things were so good for them. And then we come to find out that they were people walking around with washed hands, trying to make sure that you saw that their hands were washed, that they were washing their hands between each individual bite, that everything was going well. But what was truly wrong? Something hidden. Something that they tried to hide. Something that was hurting them, that was hurting their spouse. The washing of hands becoming this, this outward working to hide behind. A distraction. To make sure I'm clean on the outside so that no one asks about what's going on on the inside. But then enter Jesus to give us the diagnosis of the reality for us, the inward things, the real pain, the real suffering, the real sin that no amount of hand sanitizer can fix. No, he says it. He says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. And then he lists them, evil thoughts. Well, all i got to ask you is how you feel about the election coming up. You're forgiven. Murders, adulteries, uh, dare I say, using other individuals for self-gratification, theft, false or lying testimonies or witnesses, blasphemies or slander, Blasphemy being used now of people rather than God, which when you use that word in the Greek, it just means to degrade another human being. Why would we degrade them? To make ourselves feel like we're not that bad. Well, again, from Zadie Smith, I don't know how many have done Zoom meetings, been online with the multiple pictures that looks like... uh, that looks like Hollywood Squares on your computer screen, but she, she writes this of these meetings in which you get together and people ask you how things are going in the midst of the pandemic. And she says, as a rule of social etiquette, when confronted with a pixelated screen of a dozen people, all of them inquiring somewhat half-heartedly as to how you are, it is appropriate to make the expected decent and accurate claim that you are fine and privileged, lucky compared to so many others. Inconvenience, yes, Melancholy often, but not suffering. Now, she's from Britain, but this sounds like Scandinavian Minnesota to me. The pretend, oh, things are fine. She goes on, even Christ, 20 feet in the air and bleeding all over himself, no doubt looked about him and wondered whether his agonies, when all was said and done, were relatively speaking, in fact, better than those of the thieves and beggars to his left and right, whose sufferings long predated their present crucifixions, and who had no hope, unlike Christ, of an improved post-cross situation. 
But when the bad day in your week finally arrives, listen to this church, when the bad day in your week finally arrives and it comes to all, by which I mean that particular moment when your sufferings, as puny as they may be in the wider scheme of things, direct themselves absolutely and only to you, as if precisely designed to destroy you and only you, at that point it might be worth allowing yourself the admission of the reality of suffering. If not for yourself exactly, then in preparation for that next painful bout of video conferencing, so that you don't roll your eyes or laugh or puke when listening to what some other person seems to think is pain. This euphemism of washing hands, clean hands, being able to hide something. We even do it with our own humility. We think, well, in comparison to so-and-so, things are not that bad. And yet we're suffering. There is real pain, real sin affecting us. A real need for salvation. Well, the crazy thing is that we always forget is that Christ comes for real sinners. Otherwise, he wouldn't be a real savior. And so Christ goes away to a foreign land with his disciples to try and make this point. And the Canaanite woman finds him. And, and it's interesting that she's tagged with that. It just doesn't say a woman from the area. It says a Canaanite woman. This would have been someone who no amount of washing hands could make her look clean in the eyes of the religious Jew. She was an enemy. She was unclean. The Canaanites were the ones that the Israelites were supposed to drive out of Canaan. They were the ones who, after the exile into Babylon, were very well known for capturing and selling into slavery the people of Judah and the people of Israel. These would not have been well-respected people. She could have washed her hands. She could have kept kosher. She could have done all those things. She would have still been a Canaanite. And that's the point that Matthew's making. She was unclean in the eyes of the religious, and yet she gets it. Out of everybody there, she gets it. She comes to Jesus and says, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. She calls him Lord, which would have been the, it's the same word in the Greek that we get Caesar from. She's making a statement about this Jesus that was wider than any other statement that could have been made. And then she says, Son of David. That is the Jewish exclamation point of this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. And then she does the only thing she can do. She says, have mercy on me. Show me undeserved concern. Grant to me that which I do not deserve. That is mercy. We are very bad with mercy. I've noticed lately as a pastor, we're very good at talking about justice in our society, but how often do we talk about mercy? The granting to others that don't deserve it, that which they don't deserve, and yet giving it to them anyways. We'll also add to this that no washing of hands would save her daughter, right? Now, washing of hands was to save her from that. How often it is, church, that we're expected to suffer quietly. Things aren't supposed to go that bad. I tell the story, and I'll probably tell it again and again, so get used to it. I can remember in college, at Bethel College, I show up from California, and someone comes up to me and says, well, how are you doing? And I said, well, not really good, and I'm trying to explain how the day is going. They're kind of surprised that I didn't say, oh, things are fine. 
all things are good. And they just sort of laugh it off and say, oh, well, I'll pray for you, and they walk away. This is a Christian college, by the way. How often it is that we're supposed to suffer quietly, that things are supposed to be fine, and yet in our hearts, inside of us, there's this one crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Well, at first glance, Jesus doesn't give an answer. In part, I think he's waiting to see if his disciples will get the answer right. They come to him and they're looking for expediency. They say, well, dismiss her, get rid of her. The word can also mean, well, satisfy her, do what she wants so she'll stop haranguing us. We just want to get rid of her so that we can have our time with you, Jesus. So they kind of get it. They know that he can grant the request she's brought. But he doesn't say anything until he turns to the disciples and he gives his first response. I was sent, but I was sent to the ones who washed their hands, right? To the lost sheep of Israel. I was sent to the ones who washed their hands. Where have her hands been, disciples? Religious? And she comes and does the only thing she can do. She falls on the dirt, clings to his dirty feet, and all she can say is, help me. And finally, he gives one more response, and I picture him standing there. She's clinging to his feet, weeping, begging, and he looks to his disciples and says, but it's not good to take bread from the children and throw it to the dogs, looking at the disciples. And yet, from the ground comes this beautiful response. Yes, it is, Lord, because even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. It's a good thing, she says, for you to take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs. It's an acceptable thing. It's the only way I will eat this word dog being the pet dog, the lap dog, not the dog in the street. This would be, you know, the chihuahua that you carry around in a purse that has a name and a tag and sits under the table begging for bacon. And the only way they eat is if the master puts food in the bowl. And she gets it right. Yes, it is, Lord. It is a good thing. Hand washing blinds us this figurative hand-washing, this religious washing, blinds us to the turmoil, to the sin, to the suffering in our own lives that we try to hide. Because if we can pretend, then we don't look like the sinners that are in need that we are. But the worst thing is, is that it then covers over our Jesus. It hides us from the one who's faithful, who's merciful, to the faithless and the merciless. And so he gives the woman the response she so desires and the one that Jesus always gives, oh woman, is what the Greek says, oh woman. It's this, it's this picture of compassion. You have great faith. Your request is granted to you. And her daughter is healed. Her faith is not in her clean hands. Her faith is not in her ability to be religious. It is in what Christ gives Janet read to us from Romans chapter 11. And I love this section, but most specifically because verse 32, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy 
on them all. Church, the work for us is to get out of the mindset of trying to keep our hands clean because if we try to keep our hands clean, if that is where we find mercy, if that is where we find the promise in ourselves, then we deny Christ and what he brings, this promise of no matter how clean your hands are, I will look to you and say, O woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted to you. But then also we are open to come to Christ to say, I need crumbs. I need that little portion of you, Jesus, today. Because today is hard. I got that diagnosis. Or today's hard. Things aren't going so well with my spouse. Today, things are, are, are hard because there's so many unknowns coming and we can be able to open ourselves wide to Christ. And he comes to us as that merciful master throwing the scraps from the table. Not because he looks down upon us, but because he loves us. And his desire is to grant mercy. Thanks be to God. Amen.